Europe Out Loud, a podcast about Europe's history, culture, and civilization. Brought to you by the Martin Center with Frederico Reo. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a new episode of Europe Out Loud, our podcast series. We are in the run up towards the European elections. And that's why we thought we would address the F word of European integration, European federalism. I would like to argue that there is not one, but several ways of being European federalist. Uh, although only some of them are visible in the current debate, others have existed in the history of European integration and maybe could be usefully rediscovered ahead of the European elections and after it. I will present four of them based on the doctrines of European integration that emerged at the beginning of debates surrounding uh, European unity. And I think that it is fair to associate only two of them, um, admittedly the dominant one, but only two of them with a form of European centralism, a centralist federalism, while at least another two of them uh, should rather be associated with a vision of decentralized and competitive federalism that is very mindful of national and regional identities. So the four streams, I name it very briefly. Uh, one is associated, uh, the most famous one, of course, with Altiero Spinelli. Uh, another one, less famous, is associated with Friedrich Hayek, the great uh, Nobel Prize winning economist. A third one is associated with Jean Monnet, one of the founding fathers of European integration. And the fourth one is associated with Christian democracy more broadly. I don't think we can find a single personality that really embodies it to the extent to which these other personalities embody uh, other streams. What I will try to do is, in the remainder of the episode, I will present each of them in turn very briefly. Uh, I will try maybe also to facilitate comparison to explain for each of them what is the cultural ideal that they embrace, either openly or implicitly, uh, what is their political uh, model of federalism, and what is their economic model. So I would like to start from what uh, most interpreters of European federalism consider the beginning, but in my opinion wrongly, uh, meaning with Spinellian federalism. Altiero Spinelli was an Italian, um, he was uh, imprisoned, exiled on a small island in the Mediterranean during the fascist regime. And together with other prisoners, this is well known, in 1941 he published a famous manifesto called the Manifesto, Ventotene Manifesto, which is considered wrongly as I, the origin of European uh, federalism. Now, uh, if I have to summarize Spinellian federalism based on the three categories that I have introduced, I would say that it is culturally progressive, institutionally centralized, and economically interventionist. I think anyone who reads the Ventotene Manifesto can easily see why I, I mean so. Economically progressive, this comes from the cultural background of Altiero Spinelli himself. He came from a long militance in the Italian Communist Party. He maintained for all his life uh, a strong egalitarian um, approach, particularly as far as economic and social questions were concerned. Institutionally, I think it is quite clear when one reads the Ventotene Manifesto that his institutional model is the American uh, Federation as developed in the 1930s, so during the very 
interventionist turn that uh, President Roosevelt gave to it during the New Deal. So it's a model in which the center clearly affirms its superiority, its supremacy over the federated members. That's what I mean when I say that it is a model of centralized federalism. Another very important aspect of Spinellian federalism is its programmatic interventionism as far as economics is concerned. To begin with, it is clear that Spinelli devotes a lot of energies to denouncing the crimes of what he calls capitalist imperialism. But most importantly, he uh, entrusts the federation with openly socialist goals. A totally different model uh, is propounded, is uh, proposed by uh, Friedrich Hayek. And interestingly enough, around the same time, the first interesting thing I think is that um, Spinelli published in 1941, Hayek published in 1939, so already two years before, and he's not even the first. There is a very interesting blueprint of what I would call classical liberal federalism in an essay of Hayek called The Economic Conditions of Interstate Federalism. The feature, I would say, again, to summarize, Hayekian federalism is culturally liberal, institutionally decentralized, and economically competitive and non-interventionist. Culturally liberal because the goal of federation for Hayek is to maintain peace and individual freedoms. Institutionally decentralized because we are not talking about a strong and intrusive central government, but rather, if one reads Hayek's essay, we are envisaging a limited framework for continental openness, which would deal with core federal functions, which I would summarize, this is not Hayek's language, but I would summarize them as defense, foreign policy, and what we now call the four freedoms of the internal market. So a limited institutional center. There are passages in which Hayek even insists on the need to devolve powers to regions and open up regions and nations within this, this federated continental space to uh, competition and experimentation. So a very competitive and decentralized uh, federalism. Very interestingly, if Spinelli's federalism is very active, very interventionist, Hayekian federalism is, on the contrary, based on a notion of uh, what it, today we will call negative integration, meaning it's not about active intervention from the federal level, but it's about reining in interventions of the federated members so as to allow the free movements of capital, services, workers, goods what we now call the four freedoms of the internal market. So it's based on a notion of negative integration and if we want of mutual recognition, we would say today, in the EU, EU jargon. So a very different uh, model of decentralized and competitive federalism. I now come to the third strand of federalism that I have identified, Monetian federalism. This is associated with Jean Monnet, who is, of course, one of the great founding fathers of European integration. He, he drafted, as we know, or at least inspired the bulk of the Schumann Declaration of 1949. It was the, the first president of the high authority, so the ancestor of the commission at the time. So a very influential figure. And again, if I have to summarize his uh, federalism, I would say that it is uh, culturally elitist, institutionally technocratic, economically um, based on planning. Culturally elitist, Monet is quite clear in this, he believed that the, it was bureaucratic and um, economic elites that had to take the, the lead in building an integrated European order. Now, and here probably it is useful to pause one moment 
and to stress the fact that many people do not consider Monet a federalist. My opinion has always been, and I think it is not, I'm not the only one to think like that, that it basically shared Spinelli's goal as far as the federalization of Europe was concerned. His model was a centralized federation inspired by the United States. The disagreement with Spinelli was primarily on the means to be followed in pursuit of this federation. Spinelli believed that you could have a sort of political big bang that would establish the federation while uh, Jean Monnet believed in a functionalist method of integration. You know, in the, uh, we, we start by transferring certain regulatory powers to supranational institutions, independent supranational institutions. This is expected to produce certain spillover effects into other areas, and therefore it will stimulate integration in these other areas, and therefore the sharing of sovereignty in an ever-growing number of fields until we reach a stage in which we can finally federalize. But the final goal, of a centralized uh, federation, I think, is basically uh, shared. So um, culturally elitist, um, I think institutionally technocratic, because Jean Monnet was a very careful observer of political developments in the 1920s and 30s. And what struck him was that many democratic majorities and parliaments elected dictators and voted for powers to dictator. Of course, Hitler is a prominent example of this. So he was not crazy in, in having a technocratic bent. He was trying to shield his project of European integration from this sort of uh, democratic inconveniences. Um, and finally, in terms of uh, economic uh, doctrine, uh, Monet was also, as uh, it is widely known, he was in charge of the National uh, Planning Authority in France after the war, and he had a vision of um, interventionist technocratic planning as the is basic economic doctrine. I now come very briefly to the last federalist strand, which I have called personalist, because I think the dominant philosophy that inspired it was the personalism of the 1920s and 1930s, and it was associated with Christian democracy. So the first thing to say here is that there is no, as I was mentioning, there is not a single uh, thinker or practitioner or politician that I think can be associated with it. If I have to summarize its features, I would say that um, it is culturally Christian and personalist, institutionally polycentric, and um, economically solidaristic. What do I mean by that? Uh, culturally, uh, Christian is quite obvious. The, 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 there is an attention that is lacking in all other federalist strands to the cultural roots of European federalism, which in the minds of these thinkers are um, the, the Christian identity, the common Christian identity of uh, Europe and its uh, nations. Um, there is an institutional attention to polycentrism and autonomy that is rooted in personalism. Personalism, we should remember, is a doctrine that sees the individual human beings embedded in a web of social and political relations uh, that are constructed, we want, from the bottom up, you know, from the level of the family and the local uh, action up to the level of uh, the region, the nation, and then um, the continent, in this case. So it proposed an idea of radical federalization both within nation states and uh, at the interstate level. And finally, in terms of economic doctrine, it was solidaristic. Uh, it refused both unbridled free markets and individualism on the one end and uh, state-centered social and welfare system on the other end. It, it believed that people in their families, in their local communities, had to 
take the initiative and uh, be primarily responsible for social and economic problems. But I think for our purposes, what is interesting to retain in this federalism is that it is culturally rooted and it has a bottom-up vision based on subsidiarity, so based on the construction of unity, of federal unity from the bottom-up. So I come to my conclusions. To, the first point I think to make is that, as I have premised at the beginning, I think it is wrong to believe that there is only one way of being European federalist and there has been only one strand of European federalism in the history of European integration. I have already uh, listed four. I mean, one could in fact go on and probably add one or two more. The second point is that it is true that not all of them have been equally influential in the European integration process and that the most influential have been the two that are associated with centralist federalism. So Spinellian federalism and Monadian federalism. And I would, I would say that the dominant federalist discourse that you hear in uh, pro-European circles is still a strange mixture of Monet and Spinelli. Spinelli comes to the fore because he's the most political of the two, of course, but there is a lot of Monet in there as well. Uh, and of course, the, the problem with this is that I think these two strands of federalism are associated with some of the problems uh, of European integration that provoked uh, the populist rebellion that we are seeing. You know, a certain leaning towards technocracy, a certain leaning towards elitism. Um, a certain leanings towards bureaucratic regulation of uh, the economy, uh, a certain neglect of the cultural roots of European integration, a certain uh, lack of emphasis on national and regional uh, autonomies. The mistake, of course, of those who criticize this form of European federalism is to believe that it is the only possible form of European federalism. There are at least another two streams which, in fact, defend a much more decentralized, uh, open, competitive, bottom-up uh, European federalism. And I believe personally, I consider myself a European federalist, but I believe that if European federalism must have a future in the current context, it can only be through uh, a synthesis of a Yekian and personalist federalism that will federate a broad uh, constituency of Christian Democrats, conservatives, liberal conservatives in favour of EU reform. That was today's episode of Europe Out Loud. Subscribe to our podcasts for more.